The good word today is our continued study in this matter of idolatry. Now, I hope you're not tired of this. I know that sometimes we preachers get our attention focused on something, and folks don't want us to stay there too long. I think it's important for us to linger at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Now, we've been answering questions about idolatry. Our first question, what is idolatry? We discovered it started with Satan, I will be like the Most High. It continued with Eve when Satan said in Genesis chapter 3, ye shall be as gods when you disobey him. Man knew the truth and turned their back on the truth and made gods after their own image. Why? Because they had no gratitude to God. They would not give glory to God. They wanted to glorify themselves. Idolatry is defined for us in Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We've discovered what idolatry does to man. It enslaves them. It disappoints them. It changes them. It condemns them. Now, our question today is this. What are the idols that we face today? Now, I'm assuming that I'm speaking primarily to born-again Christians, uh, there are churches today where you will find idols, but uh, I'm, I assume I'm talking to people who, who don't bow down before brass and iron and silver and gold and wood and, and statuary, but there are idols that we have to be careful of. Even those of us who are born-again Christians in evangelical churches, we've got to be careful of idols. Um, one idol, I think, is the idol of man. People like to follow man. And this is especially true in our churches. If some man comes along who's gifted, maybe a gifted singer or preacher or Bible teacher, how easy it is for Christians to start following him. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul warns against carnality. He warns us against this matter of worshiping men, putting men first. And uh, we've got to be careful there. One says, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Peter. This is idolatry. You can make an idol of your preacher. Now remember this, your preacher is a servant of God. Your Sunday school teacher is a servant of God. Paul makes a very wonderful statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 1. He says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, he says, Therefore let no man glory in man. That means don't compare preachers. That means don't compare singers. Oh, how much of this there is in churches today, comparing people. Get your eyes off of people. The man in the pulpit is a servant of Jesus Christ to lead you to Christ, not to lead you to himself. Don't be a preacher follower. When I was in my former church, a lady said to me one day, If you ever leave, I leave too. And I said to her, That's no compliment. If I leave, you leave. It just shows you were worshiping me instead of the Lord, and my ministry was a failure with you. She said, well, I never thought of that. I guess I won't do that. Now, people ought to honor their pastor. They ought to follow their pastor as he follows the Lord. They ought to be obedient to the preaching of the word that he gives. But friend, don't you worship the preacher. It's easy to make men idols. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter came into the household of Cornelius, Cornelius bowed down to him and worshipped him. And Peter said, stand up on your feet. I'm a man like everybody else. There are some people who love to have folks bow down, kiss their feet, kiss their hands. And Peter said, don't do that to me. I'm just a servant of God, Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 12, Herod the king 
made an oration, and the people said, oh, it's the voice of God, it's not the voice of a man. And Herod would not give God the glory, and God killed him. You know, if God killed everybody today who takes the glory, not many people would be left. In Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas healed that lame man, the citizens of that particular city worshipped him. They brought sacrifices and wanted to bow down and worship him as a god. And Paul tore his clothes and ran into the crowd and said, Don't do this. We're men like you are. You know, praise can be a very, very delicate thing. Uh, maybe I'm speaking to some Christian workers now, and you're living on praise. Unless people are always complimenting you, you're not happy serving the Lord. Do you live and serve to please God or to get praise of men? So men can be idols today. Our body can become an idol. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul warns us about a certain kind of people whose hearts are not right with God. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. A modern translation says, whose God is their appetite. All they think about is eating and drinking and satisfying the body. You know, a great vast sum of money is spent every year in this country just on satisfying the body, decorating the body, feeding the body. Nothing wrong with eating. We have to eat. I think most people don't eat to live. They live to eat. And here are people whose God is their belly. You announce in the average church you're going to have a Bible conference and very few people show up. You announce you're going to have some kind of a dinner and you see people you haven't seen for a long time. Now, isn't that true? You know it's true. People's God is their belly. They can't come to church and listen to the Word of God, feed on the milk and the meat and the bread and the honey of the Word. They can go to a banquet someplace for three or four hours and eat and enjoy themselves and think nothing of the time. So the body can become an idol. Pleasure can become an idol. In uh, 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul talks about people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, this business of pleasure has crept into our churches. Sermons have to be entertaining. Music has to be entertaining. We have to have movies. Christians don't have to go to theaters anymore to see movies. They can see them in church. And some of the movies that are being produced are just as shady as some that you'll see in the theaters. It's terrible the way even some of our Christian film producers, so-called, have gotten worldly. And the music and the dress and the plot reads like something from a paperback novel. Now, why is this so? Because the Christian public today has made an idol of pleasure. We have to have our bowling leagues, and we have to have our baseball leagues, and all the rest of these things. Now, I'm not against athletics. I think it's good for us as Christians to exercise the body. I perhaps don't do it as much as I ought to, and I'll confess it. Paul says that bodily exercise profits for a little time, but godliness is profitable forever, for all eternity. But the, my question is this, why is it a man doesn't have time to go calling, to go visiting, inviting people to come to Christ, but he has time for a bowling tournament? Why is it a man doesn't have the energy to be an usher or to sing in the choir or to teach a Sunday school class? That just takes too much work, but he can go out in the hot sun and run bases and spend three or four hours practicing. Now, this is strange. We are lovers of pleasure, and pleasure has become an idol even among Christians today. I think a fourth idol we have to watch out for is things, just the accumulation of things. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. We think it does, though. 
How many TV sets do you have? How many radios do you have? How many suits or pairs of shoes do you have? A man died, and his funeral procession was going down the street, and someone said, how much did he leave behind? And the answer came, everything. Now, there's nothing wrong with things. God made things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God made things, and God said things are good. God looked upon everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Things are good. God made them. God knows that we need things. Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. He knows we need shoes and clothes and shelter and food. But I wonder if we need all the things that we think we need. I wonder if we, if we really need all that we accumulate. We think that life is composed of a great accumulation of things, and things can become an idol. Paul wrote in Colossians, and he said, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Back in 1900... Somebody made a survey and asked people how many things they thought they had to have to be relatively happy, and they said 72. The survey was repeated in 1950. How many things do you think you need to be relatively happy? And the answer was 496. Now, I think it was Henry David Thoreau who said, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to let alone. I like that. I think I may have told you in a previous lesson about the rich man who was moving in and he had a Quaker neighbor. Now, the Quakers are very simple people, very godly people. And the Quaker neighbor stood there and watched as they had carried in the many, many things that this rich man was proud of and that he owned. And the Quaker said to his neighbor, Neighbor, I will tell thee something. If ever thou dost need something, come to see me, and I will tell thee how to get along without it. I like that. You know, you wake up in a hospital bed and uh, you're just wanting to live. It's amazing how many things you can do without. The average Christian today, if he's stuck in a bus terminal or an airline terminal or a railroad station with an hour to kill, doesn't know what to do with himself. No, no TV set, no stereo, no radio. Things. Things have become an idol, I fear, to many, many Christians. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's close our lesson today by answering our fourth question. How can we detect the idols in our lives? How can I find out when something or someone in my life is becoming an idol? I think the first test is the test of devotion. For what am I living? For what am I serving? For what am I sacrificing? Devotion. What is the thing that I am devoted to? Why am I working? Am I working for the glory of God? Why am I accumulating money? Is it for the glory of God? The devotion test, for what are you working and living? Well, it's to get a new car. Do you need a new car? Well, it's to get a bigger house. Do you need a bigger house? Now, God wants us to enjoy things. 1 Timothy 6.17 makes it very clear that God wants us to enjoy things, but he doesn't want things to control us. So the devotion test. How about the dependence test? What are you depending on? What is the thing you would really hate to lose? Oh, if I lost my color TV set, you poor thing. That life is built around a color TV set. Your dependence test. What are you trusting? Uh, your delight test. What gives you the most pleasure? What gives you the most pleasure? Now, when I look at my life and I say, what's the thing I'm living for? What's the thing I'm living on? What's the thing I'm trusting in? 
What is the thing that guides me in making my decisions? Here's a fourth test, the decision test. What, what guides me in making my decisions? That's your God. Is the thing that guides you, uh, how will people feel? Then you're worshiping people. You're living to please people. Uh, how will it affect my bank account? How will it affect my pleasure? If we only we would ask the question, how does it affect the glory of God? The decision test, the destiny test. What am I looking forward to? Right now, close your eyes and project yourself down to the future. What are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to meeting Jesus Christ and laying your life at his feet and saying, Lord, I tried to live for you? Or are you looking forward to a bigger boat, a bigger car, more things? You see, idols are robbing Christians of blessing. Now, we don't have time to go into it, but I want to warn you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul makes it very clear that Satan uses idols. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 14. He's talking to the Corinthians about this matter of idols. The city of Corinth was full of idols. Paul said, I know an idol is nothing, just a stone, a stick, a piece of wood. But behind that idol is the devil. And when you worship idols, you're worshiping the devil. Now, some of you listening to me may not like this, but I'll back it up with Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says that when a person is in fellowship with idols, he's in fellowship with demons. And if I'm speaking to someone right now who's in the habit of worshiping some idol, even a religious idol, quote, unquote, I want to warn you, you're playing right into the hands of the devil. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 and following. Well, we've covered a long way in our lesson. Thank you so much for listening. This is Pastor Warren Wearsby of the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. The program is What's the Good Word? And the Lord willing, in our next lesson, we'll take up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2.